Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and I'm usually joined by my co-host Joey, but he couldn't make it today. So instead, I'm joined by special guest and recurring guest, our most frequently recurring guest, Coos. How's it, how's it going, Coos? Hey, everybody. It's your boy, Coos. I'm uh, happy to be here again as Affable Chat's uh, most frequent guest. That's right. Finally on my first official episode of the Affable Chat podcast since Infinity War. It's been a long time, and uh, it's great that we have you on again because we're, we're returning to the MCU. Uh, we brought you here today to discuss Spider-Man No Way Home. Watch that spell where you wanted everyone to forget the Peter Parker Spider-Man. We started getting some visitors. From every universe. Hello, Peter. This is an American superhero movie directed by John Watts. The cast includes Nathan Drake, Rue Bennett, Alan Turing, Ned Leeds, Happy Hogan, Django, Gil from Finding Nemo, The Devil from Rick and Morty, Zero, Mona Lisa Vito, Desmond Doss, and Captain Sam Cahill. I watched this movie in the theaters two times, two separate times. I went once with my girlfriend and once by myself. Kuz, how did you watch this movie? I also watched this movie in theaters twice. I went once with my younger brother and my cousin. Uh, the affable chat uh, streamers will know my cousin as Zachary, um, making all those wonderful uh, videos. But uh, then I went again with my younger brother and my sister. All right, cool. So shout out to Zach. And um, yeah, so I had to go back and see this one again to, before doing a podcast. It's always interesting doing these kind of episodes about movies that are still in theaters because it's, it's a little harder to, you know, pause it oh, <laughs> and rewind I... <laughs> when it's, excuse me, can you run that projector back? Yeah, right. right? So um, had to go twice to be able I... to... Whenever it comes to an MCU movie, I always go twice. Which is why we have you as a guest on this one. I always have a policy of going twice because the first time I will always like geek out and I'll just love it no matter what. And then the second time around, I'll actually go in with a more critical approach and be like, okay, well, I've already gotten like my fanboy out of me. Let's actually like watch this movie and see how good it is. That's perfect. Well, for anybody who maybe didn't get to see it twice or maybe it's been a while, let's remind them what happened in this movie with yeah, our synopsis, which I actually wrote this one. Usually Joey yes. writes them. This one was written by me. So let's go ahead and get into it. Peter Parker is Spider-Man. After Quentin Beck frames Spider-Man for murder and reveals his identity to the whole world, Peter and his closest allies are interrogated by the Department of Damage Control. Luckily, lawyer Matt Murdock steps in and is able to get the charges dropped. But the group still has to deal with the negative publicity. After Peter, MJ, and Ned are rejected from MIT, Peter goes to Doctor Strange to ask for help. Strange casts a spell that would make everyone forget Peter Parker is Spider-Man, but the spell gets messed up when Peter keeps requesting alterations while the spell is being cast. Strange contains the corrupted spell and makes Peter leave. 
Peter tries to convince an MIT administrator to reconsider MJ and Ned's applications, but he's interrupted when he's attacked by Otto Octavius. Spider-Man and Doc Ock fight, but the webhead gets the upper hand when the nanotechnology from his iron spider suit bonds with Doc Ock's mechanical tentacles and disables them. Just as Peter's getting things back under control, Norman Osborn arrives and starts to attack. Just then, Doctor Strange teleports Peter back to the Sanctum and locks Doc Ock in a magic cell. Doctor Strange has also captured Kurt Connors, the lizard, in a different cell. It turns out that before Strange was able to contain the corrupted spell, it summoned people from other universes who know Spider-Man's identity. Strange tells Peter, MJ, and Ned that they must locate and capture these individuals. Using a magic gauntlet that Strange gives to Peter, they are able to locate and capture Max Dillon, Electro, and Flint Marco, Sandman. Elsewhere, Norman Osborn regains control over himself from his split Green Goblin personality. He meets Aunt May at the Feast Building before Peter arrives and brings him to Strange. The villains from other universes talk to each other and discover that they were all pulled from their universes just before their deaths. Doctor Strange prepares to send them back to their respective universes, but Peter argues that they should first cure the villains to prevent their deaths when they return. Strange disagrees, so Peter steals the spell, traps Strange in the mirror dimension, and brings the villains to Happy Hogan's apartment. He cures Doc Ock, but is betrayed by Norman Osborn when his Green Goblin personality takes over. The other villains manage to escape, but the Goblin fatally injures Aunt May. Before she dies, May tells Peter that, with great power, there must also come great responsibility. Ned discovers that he is able to create portals using Doctor Strange's sling ring, and uses this power to find Peter. However, the first two Peters he finds are not his Peter. They are two other Peter Parkers from alternate universes. MJ, Ned, and the alternate Peters find this universe's Peter, who is ready to give up and send the villains home to their deaths. The alternate Peters share stories of losing loved ones and encourage Peter to fight to cure the villains. The three Peters then develop cures for each villain. The group lures the villains to the Statue of Liberty for a final battle. After initially struggling to work together as a team, the group cures Sandman and the Lizard, and Ned accidentally frees Doctor Strange from the Mirror Dimension. The Goblin arrives and destroys the contained spell, which causes more people to start getting pulled in from other universes. Doctor Strange attempts to hold them off while Spider-Man tries to kill the Green Goblin in a fit of rage. The other Spider-Men stop him and are able to cure Norman Osborn's insanity with an injection. Peter realizes that the only way to protect the multiverse is to erase himself from everyone's memory, and he asks Doctor Strange to perform the spell. He promises MJ and Ned that he will find them again. When the spell is cast, everyone returns to their respective universes. Two weeks later, Peter visits MJ and Ned with a plan to reintroduce himself but decides against it. He makes a new suit and resumes his vigilantism as a truly anonymous Spider-Man. The end. So there you have it. The events of Spider-Man No Way Home will begin our discussion with our pros and our cons. Coos, what did you like about Spider-Man No Way Home? Oh, there's so many things to like. But what I will say is that this movie expertly balances fan service, awesome action sequences, and great emotional stakes in a tightly woven story of responsibility, consequences, and ultimately redemption. 
Uh, I also think that this movie is a love letter to our generation of Spider fans, uh, mainly, you know, our age group, Ben, who started this journey with the Raimi movies back in the early 2000s. Um, I also think this movie, uh, incredibly, uh, gives an extremely satisfying resolution to three different franchises at once. And then, um, just on a personal note, I also think that this movie redeems a lot of the worst qualities and issues I've had with Tom Holland's MCU Spider-Man portrayal thus far. Okay. Really do. That's great. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of what you said is true. I, I think this is an unbelievable crossover film. You know, I mean, last time we had you on the podcast was for the most ambitious crossover of all time which you know i'm kind of saying sarcastically but also i still feel is completely true infinity war was insane the the to bring all those marvel movies together and then now we have another situation where it's a marvel movie that's an insane crossover in a different way because now it's joining three different franchises franchises. entirely yes so that's very i think that's like a very novel and it's it's just it's pulled off very well in this movie so i think that it was one of my favorite aspects. Willem Dafoe is so good as the Green oh Goblin. God, so good. It's, I mean, to get another chance to see him in this role is, it's just a, it's a, it's a gift. It's well, just, we're lucky to be able to have that situation. We'll get more into it later, but he's probably the like villain actor. Oh and yeah. He's oh, reminded, we'll, you know. Yeah. We'll, we'll definitely expand on that. I think the pacing is good. I think this movie, even though it's a little bit long, I think it, it doesn't get like boring or feel like it's too inflated like you said the action is great the special effects are great as we come to expect from mcu films the the rest of the cast willem dafoe and you know beyond him absolutely loaded there's so much talent uh that they brought in for this one the uh honestly even though i think our synopsis was a little bit long the plot is pretty simple once you think about it uh yeah it's it's for a movie that's tying all these different things together i think it does a, a pretty good job of staying pretty linear uh it, it's funny there are parts of this movie that i laughed at oh yeah it's emotional there's different things that really got to me oh this um, movie got a few tears out of me my god definitely um it's thematically consistent i think there's a few ideas that it, it will which we'll talk about that it covers and it sticks to it doesn't try to do too much it's epic, you know, in the in the true sense oh, of the word. In it's the like, scope of it. Yeah. And um and it delivers on the hype. And that's oh, that's my last pro. And there was so much there hype. There was for this so movie. much hype. I mean, if you listen to previous off script episodes of this podcast, we were joking about how the the hype the hype on this movie is just never deliver impossible. And like it actually does deliver Absolutely. really well. And it, oh, and, yeah. yeah. And they just took good care of uh something that people love like this had the opportunity to be really bad oh yeah and really leave a sour taste in our mouths when it comes to spider-man and i think that the fact that they didn't do that and that they came through with something that is uh, you know really enjoyable for the fans of spider-man i think is is great you know oh it's amazing whenever you make sequels you always have the chance of ruining things and i think they did a good job but let's uh those are our pros let's get into our cons because what did you not like about spider-man it's hard to really say that i don't like anything about this movie but there's some things that i think that could have done a lot better like for example this movie plays fast and loose with the rules when it comes to the magic spells and i understand the magic is intentionally like vague because that's like the whole point of the movie but it causes inconsistencies, and we'll talk more about it later. 
Um, beyond that, uh, we didn't actually have an actual Sinister Six, dude. We were this yes. close to greatness. When I was watching it, I was trying to keep count. I was like, five? Isn't there supposed to be six? It yeah, the felt whole, like this is supposed to be six. Yeah, there's supposed to be a Sinister Six movie. And like we we get like a secret character, like a freaking video game at the end of the movie. And we'll get into that later. But like it's also like you know but there wasn't a sinister six proper yeah there wasn't a sinister six proper and also as like a comic book nerd that i am it shouldn't take three spider-men to take on the sinister six anyway when he's had to solo them for years okay in the comics in like the comics oh yeah yeah. that's like the whole point is that the six of them come together to take on spider-man um and speaking of spider-man i will say and this isn't necessarily a con but like if you're not a diehard spider-man fan and you haven't seen all the movies this movie's probably not going to be as enjoyable to you, and you probably will miss a lot of the context. Absolutely. Like, there's a lot of stuff with the villains that they really don't, like, get into the nitty-gritty of uh, in this movie just because they expect that you've seen the previous movies. So... Yeah, it's... I've, yeah, I'm so deep in the context of this movie, right. I can't even imagine what it would be like to watch this movie without knowing... Oh, exactly. ...who these other Spider-Men are or who these villains are. Right. But, yeah, like you said, I and don't that's know if that's not, necessarily that's a con. That's not necessarily a con, but I do think that's something to bring up because sure. they sure. really, you know, they kind of expect you to do that. And then my last thing, and we'll talk about this a lot more at the end, and uh, just bear in mind, this is not going to make any sense until we talk about it later on. The like secret gentleman's chess match between Sony and Marvel, the studios who make you know the Spider-Man movies, ends in a way that while Marvel's like won the match, uh, Sony's kind of won the war, given like the implications of this movie's ending. And I'm I'm really excited to hear you uh, expand on that. But of course, we will get to that a little bit later. Yeah. For my cons, I'll say. I felt like the whole world being after him could have been more strongly established. Like the first, like the yeah. first scene in the movie where uh, his identity is revealed, Spider-Man is getting like chased by literally everyone, and people are looking at him through his windows, and it feels like the whole world is closing in on him. Oh, like the mob mentality of New York too, and like the woman, like you know, uh, gets all mad with him. Yeah, yes, yeah, they could have uh, expanded on that. And a it lot felt more. well. I guess I just felt like that was a bigger motivator for like why you would need to have magic change things right then not getting into mit yeah are you are you really gonna try to make me believe that spider-man isn't well connected and can't get some of the things that he needs at this point yeah also like you know if he is peter parker as spider-man and he's a very like established avenger at this point shouldn't like pepper Potts, like his like mentor's wife be able to like just hook him up into mit it's almost like expected you sure know? and again i think it's fine the way they did it right. um because you know mit is just the tip of the iceberg who knows what other things that are going to impact his close like his friends oh, for sure you know that's the whole point and i get that and i identify with that but I do feel like they had this whole, the whole world is like literally throwing bricks through his window and then they're like, we'll drop the charges and then they're fine. You know, yeah, they can kind of just do whatever they want well, like, to you a know, certain extent. It's like, like they go it back turns, to high school. Yeah, they go back to high school and it turns into just like a publicity stunt because sure. and it's he's like not getting de- charged, but he, they have to deal with all this negative press about yeah. being Spider-Man and how Spider-Man's being like framed for murder. Yeah. Definitely he's not, but or yeah. definitely not guilty of murder, but you know, that's Absolutely. the whole point. Well, exactly. But the thing is, if he, some people do think he's a murderer, it's right. wild that he can just go to high school. Oh, like, how yeah, do you even go to your sure. class? Anyways, I just um, felt like that was a little bit uh, on shaky ground. Then the whole let's cast spells and then not talk about it first. It's like, all right, Peter, I'm just going to start casting this spell. And he's like, but wait, yeah. I want to do this. It's like, oh, let me try to do this dangerous thing and, oh, and adjust it during yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, why not just have a little talk? It's like, here's what the spell is going to do. 
are you sure that's what you want it to do? Instead of yes. saying that during the spell. Again, classic cinema moment of where it's course, like, where we that's don't supposed like to create clearly conflict. Talk about it. Yeah. yeah. And it's like when like characters use the wrong pronouns where they're like, he is going to do this. And it's like, oh, I thought by he, you meant this. And like, yeah, you're talking you know, about this guy, not or it's that like guy. It, you know, and they're not actually saying it. So um, anyways, uh, that one, I was like, again, it's kind of frustrating watching it the second time where you're like, oh, this could have easily been avoided, yeah. Doctor Strange. And then finally... This one I feel like could be contentious, but I think having Norman Osborn say, I'm something of a scientist myself. <laughs> I, I thought that was giga cringe. Oh, okay? no, dude. I thought that Wrong. was totally unnecessary, and it's clear evidence that the internet influenced this movie. Because okay. that you did not... Norman Osborn wasn't walking around saying that to everybody. Listen. It's like, my catchphrase is that I always say... <laughs> I'm something of a scientist myself. That was like a in the moment type thing that he yeah. pulled out. Okay. When he was talking to Peter. You're so right. And it is kind of cringe, but also as a Spider-Man fan, I loved it hundred percent. Like if you're going to embrace well, any meme besides like the Spider-Man pointing at each other, that was the one to do it. The, well, that's the other one that I expected to see in this movie. And I was glad right. I didn't see it was the two Spider-Man pointing at each other. Yeah. They like kind of reference it because like there's a point where they're kind of like gesturing to each other because again, they do like the, Oh, Peter. And they're like, which Peter? Like, is that sure. one? That one? Yeah. yeah but they, that's like, not a, do it, but that's not like a direct, that's like, not a d- internet meme. Yeah. Because again, like, in my opinion, the way that they use this, the whole point is to say, remember yeah. that meme? No, which you're to so me is right, cringe. Though. Uh, it, listen, even though I do love this quote and I love memes, the, yeah. like the memes that it came that came out of Spider-Man, the Raimi movies, but I was like, ugh, that was totally unnecessary. But that's how I feel. And I know this is contentious. It's a little contentious, but like I can understand the reasoning behind it at least. So anyways, those are our pros and our cons. Let's get into our overall section. And I want to start the um kind of discussion by asking you what makes you an authority on spider-man and marvel in general coos all right um so i have been reading marvel comics since 2011 is currently 2022 so i've got about 11 years uh of comic books that i've over a decade over a decade of expertise here and i've consumed marvel media that includes video games animated shows movies so on and so forth since long before that so how many spider-man movies have you seen i've seen all of them including the animated movies so You've done. You've watched all the ones that are required, like viewing for this film. Oh, yeah. But you've also gone beyond that. Oh, into the Spider Verse, um, the other like animated, uh, animated shows, animated movies. Um, I've seen them all. You've seen the cartoon that the actual Spider Man pointing at himself meme comes oh, from. Oh yeah, right? the sixties uh, cartoon. Yeah. I have uh, paroused it. Got it. I've and done my homework. What about Marvel movies? How many have you seen? I have seen all of them that I, you know, from recent memory that I know of, including older Marvel movies such as Howard the Duck, <laughs> Blade, and so forth. Wow. Okay. I have. I've really tried to like view them all. So you have you, eleven you've, years. You've covered the entire mcu and beyond and further oh wow. yeah okay um so and and uh you already mentioned you also play video games you uh, like read yeah. the comics so further i literally read marvel comics every week every wednesday since 2011 so you know i've i i like to say you that live I, at least I live it you know <laughs> this is part of my like weekly routine is to read marvel comic books well that's so. great and it's it i mean i know all this stuff i'm obviously asking for the audience and that's right. why i really wanted to have you on to talk about this one because uh to me this kind of feels like the biggest uh marvel movie since uh the end of 
what was that? I'd say three? Endgame. Well, yeah, really. since Endgame, essentially, yes. And um, and so I wanted to get somebody with true expertise. And a lot of people have. I mean, MCU is huge. A lot of people have a lot of in-depth oh, for knowledge. Sure. But I feel like you even go above and beyond a lot of people that I consider to be. Experts. I would say that as someone who like reads the comics, I have a certain level of depth to this knowledge yes. that the average fan who only watches the movies does not. Sure. Have. And we're going to we're going to display that here because um, I've got some questions I think oh, that sure. only you'll be able to answer. But first. What about this movie speaks to you personally? Listen, I can go on and on about being a Spider-Man fan growing up, but what I will say is that I'm genuinely impressed and touched by how the plot forces Peter to grow up and truly understand what it means to be Spider-Man, and that with great power may come great responsibility, but that your actions will always have consequences, and and that sometimes, to protect the people you love, you have to sacrifice everything. Um, and on a more personal note, and this is, uh, I guess I'm going to expose myself here. I also really loved how the movie gave Aunt May the great responsibility speech. Uh, as somebody who like grew up without a like definitive male figure in my life, no like real Uncle Ben uh, for me to speak of. Sure. Uh, you know, and as someone who maybe can uh, speak for those who don't have that kind of figure in their lives, knowing that even Aunt May can kind of like say the words you need to hear to change your life is so impactful. Um, and not to mention the whole scene is just heartbreakingly amazing. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, it was just, it was very impactful to me to see that even like Aunt May can have that role. Uh, when, you know, growing up, I never had like an Uncle Ben, really. Sure. So, no, and, and I, um, initially thought that having her say the explicit, like, quote, say although the, it's, it's say a little the bit speech. reworded for it's, her, right? It's a little reworded in the sense that they give the full speech. Um, normally in the older movies, they kind of like brevi it up to say, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. And with Aunt May, they gave her the full, like, you know, you have to understand with great power, there must also come great responsibility. Right. And I think that, um, that was both really good for them to do and kind of like, I think that in this case where Peter hasn't actually gotten the speech very clear in the MCU, that that was worth doing. Sure. Um, and I, I, I agree. I also think that the way that they use Aunt May's influence on Peter as one of his like uh, major character development moments right. is like it pays off. I'm glad they didn't just have her say it just to have her say it. Right. You know? No, this was uh, to be like, oh, we check that box. No, like, you know, it's it not felt like it was, it was better than that. Um, because again, like I said, initially I was like, oh, no, they're going to do the because we've seen Uncle Ben die enough times right. that we don't need to see it anymore and it felt refreshing when this spider-man started off to not have that be like yeah the, the case you know well we are introduced to spider-man in civil war uh uncle ben has already passed and he's already trying to be spider-man but i think that in this case um as we come to find out um he needs to like hear the words and that's what makes him understand to be spider-man so okay so i think this is kind of a good um like yeah jumping off point for my next question uh which is like what themes are present to you in this film I think that there's a lot of like fresh start, uh, a lot of like second chances, and you know, again, ultimately like redemption in yeah, this movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's um, let's dive into that a little bit because you get it kind of on both sides. You have the villains. Obviously, we're trying to redeem them, right? Or yeah. Peter is trying specifically to redeem right, them. Right. He wants to give them a second chance. He sees the humanity in them, and he yeah. wants to be able to save them. 
he's given an opportunity to save them and he is willing to sacrifice to make that happen right yeah because aunt may as a you know she tries to tell him that when you have that great power it is your responsibility to help those who need your help and instead of just sending these villains back to die which he wants to do he initially wants to just send them back and that way they're not his problem anymore well aunt may is the one who like gives him the push to be like you know if you can save them then you need to like save them right the way that she talks about norman osborne when he goes to the feast right. building he's not just like lost he's lost like in his own mind right but it, it's not just a fresh start or redemption for them it's also peter's searching for his own fresh start redemption because this movie starts out he's in a he's in the hole he's got yeah. a major problem which is and that everybody knows that he's spider-man it's the result of his own consequences for trusting the uh villain of the previous movie mysterio right right and it is his fault he gave him the glasses you know That's right so um so there's that then we also have this kind of like aunt may teach like we're kind of even touching on that already but yeah. like aunt may teaching peter good morality it's like the consistently through this movie aunt may's influence on peter is evident right no it is uh aunt may's like teaching peter is evident throughout the whole movie from start to finish so any I other themes that, that speak to you? oh yeah uh being able to rely on others until you're ready to be on your own i think there's a point where everybody is like afraid to really make that like big step and that being able to like lean on others kind of like how they do in this movie where like peter has so many opportunities to go out on his own and he keeps falling back to mj and ned because he wants to like work with his friends and be a team that's who he's like you know, with. Uh -huh. And then at the end of the movie, he braces the fact that he needs to like be on his own for the good of maybe, you know, uh, the people he cares about. Um, and kind of touching up further on that, you know, there's this theme of that you're never really truly alone, you know, and that you are the product of everything that has come before. Um, okay. And we kind of touch on it in the sense that like, uh, when Peter's absolutely grieving and it's a very, you know, uh, uh, not a tear-jerking moment, but you really get it in the heartstrings when uh, uh, the Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield Spider-Man are talking to Peter about their, like, loved ones and that, you know, whilst you may be, like, you know, uh, in, like, this dark place, you're never really truly alone and then everyone else is there for you. Um, and uh, it's not exactly... Uh, what's the word I want to use here? It's not exactly... Uh, the worst thing to say that you know even in this like dark place you can rise above when you have the people you care about with you sure um, going back to what you just said too it's like even when you're on your own you're not truly on your own like right. when peter is at the end of the movie he's he's being vigilante spider-man he's by himself after deciding not to reconnect with mj and ned he still keeps those little tokens that remind him right. of who they are because for him, all those connections are still real, and uh, they influenced him. MJ and Ned had their own heroics right. that influenced Peter to continue you know, doing what Agreed, he does. Agreed, yeah. And then the only other theme I could really talk about after the fact is uh, this concept of old versus new. Uh -huh. And I think that, and we can talk about it a little bit more, it definitely follows with like Doc Ock um, in the sense that uh, he has this like really cool technology with the arms and then Peter beats him by having his nanotechnology bond to the arms. Um, you know, he also has like the power of the sun in the palm of his hand, right? This is whole thing in Spider-Man 2. And then at the end of the movie, he literally has that when he has the arc reactor that he like takes back from electro in his hand uh further like electro gets like an updated look so he's thank god you know 
uh, he's way better than his like actual movie appearance. But again, um, to get more into that later, um, I like the concept of old versus new, whereas like this Spider-Man is very, you know, 2021, 2022. And the other movies are not like dated, but they still have like older technology Mm. and it kind of like showcases it where you know in this movie they get like updated a little bit and it's way better it is definitely interesting to see them arrive in the mcu where things are a little bit shinier and a little bit more higher tech right uh the iron spider is certainly far beyond anything we saw the first two spider-men go through of course but you started touching on the villains there and i think i want to go there next this we're we're lucky you know a movie like you normally you get one villain maybe two uh or even three if it's spider-man three but we saw how quickly that can unravel and become terrible this movie had a lot of different villains and i want to get your take on all of them so we'll start with the piece de resistance the the, oh yes the number one guy here the green goblin so what did you think of willem dafoe and, and his portrayal as the green goblin his listen, reprisal of, his, of that role yeah uh listen uh willem dafoe returns to form and reminds everybody after like 20 years that he is the definitive uh spider-man supervillain. okay he's a just an excellent supervillain actor no one can ever question that willem dafoe is the best supervillain actor ever that uh, i actually am willing to question that but i do think that's high praise it's high praise uh, it listen. His return to Norman Osborn is a masterclass on its own. He embodies the insanity of the Goblin perfectly, and I believe that in this movie, even more than like the Raimi films, Goblin becomes more of a villain for Tom Holland than he ever was for like Tobey Maguire. Wow! Oh, that's, they get wow. real intimately like evil uh, to the point where Holland literally tries to kill Osborn with his own glider to make sure that Norman Osborn dies. Uh, and Toby has to stop him. Like being told that like Goblin was meant to die by his own glider, and then Tom Holland in a fit. And again, you have to understand this is you know uh, for the sake of like clarity because obviously they're all Peter Parker, they're all Spider Man. But Tom Holland literally has tries to kill Norman Osborn with his own glider to make sure he dies. Yeah, there is a difference in like rage and depth when. Uh, you know, you have that Spider-Man do that versus in the Raimi films, whereas like, yeah, Norman Osborn's being an antagonist and like he does beat the crap out of like Peter Parker and he threatens Mary Jane. But like, but Toby doesn't try to kill him. Yeah, Toby doesn't try to kill him. He does like beat the shit out of him. But Norman Osborn's death is ultimately on his own hands because he kills himself with his own glider. And, All uh, I'm saying yeah. is that while Venom might be like Spider-Man's antithesis, Green Goblin will always be Spider-Man's true arch nemesis. Easily one of the best villainous performances put to film. I, I definitely agree with that take that he's his true arch nemesis. It felt like he kind of ro- rose above the rest of the other villains, which I think was the intended right. portrayal. Uh, and I just think it was so... Willem Dafoe just really stole the show in this movie and it's one of those situations where bringing back an actor to reprise their role really works well Uh, pays off so well and you got some new quotes from him too like now we've got see that this is kind of i guess to go back to my argument about not bringing back the 
I'm something of a scientist myself because you got new quotes from oh, him too. She's so like, that's some so neat. neat trick, you know, like <laughs> that sense of yours, which yes. oh, that's such a, that's probably one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie. Exactly. So you just let him be him. You don't have to, I just feel like Norman's a character on sabbatical, like, you know, honey. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> when you've got a character like the Green Goblin being played by Willem Dafoe, you can just let him be him and he'll create those moments for you. You don't have to lean on you know, well-tread ground. Anyways, I've harped up enough on that. I think we both agree Green Goblin is great. One thing I'll say just to really cap it up is that uh, Willem Dafoe also has like that respect put on his name because he did all of his own stunts in this movie. That was like his... Really? uh, Yeah, that was his like requirement. He was like, I'm going to come back as Green Goblin, but I want to do my own stunts. That's amazing. Especially because Willem Dafoe, I don't know exactly how old he is, but he's definitely been acting for a long time. He's been, he's rising up. uh, But he did some, there were some amazing, like especially right when he turns back into the Goblin in in Happy Hogan's apartment, there's some really great stunts going on in there with the hand-to-hand combat and crashing through all the walls and the floors. And like Peter literally wailing on uh, Green Goblin and him just laughing it off is incredible. Uh, But all the stunts were all Willem Dafoe. That's very cool. Shout out to Willem Dafoe, one of, of one of our favorite actors. Uh, but let's move on to uh, the next villain. And the next one I want to talk about is Doc Ock. So oh, what did you think of Alfred Molina returning? What a great redemption arc for Doc Ock. Like, his entrance into the film is so amazing. It immediately sets the stakes and sets the tone for the rest of the film to follow. Uh, it also shows, like I was talking about earlier, how advanced like Stark technology and just technology in general has become since like the Spider-Man two days. Uh, you know, especially with his whole like uh, the power of the sun in the palm of my hand, and then like you know, because in his movie it's a giant like fusion reactor machine, and at the end of the movie he has like the little arc reactor in his hand, and it's just like, oh, here it is. And he's literally holding that power in his hand. Uh, An especially, like, poignant moment uh, is when he's holding that arc reactor and he sees Peter again. Uh, And obviously, at the end of the movie, he's, like, cured or whatever. So it's really Otto Octavius. Right, right. And, uh, you know, he's having the power of the sun in his palm of his hand. He sees Peter and he's like, my my boy, you've grown up. Um, How are you? Uh, And Peter's response of, uh, I'm trying to be better. It's such a reflection of how they initially met which is uh, Doc Ock saying like, oh, uh, I've heard you're brilliant from Doc Connors. You're brilliant, but lazy. And Peter's response is like, yeah, I'm trying to be better. And, uh, you know, it really capitalizes on that then versus now mentality when, uh, you know, Peter again says, trying to be better. You know, it uh, it really kind of like sets the tone of like, this has been a long time coming. And then um, another like great moment. Yeah, I guess just to... I- yeah to respond to that it gives you an opportunity to like like a checkpoint almost to recognize how far we've come with these characters of course Uh, it's such a journey um especially because these movies are like not like 10 years apart we're talking like 20 years really you know 2002 2022 like spider-man 2 came out in what like 2004 you know what i mean so we're almost like 20 years on there so I, uh, you have some like time on this more than just like a decade. And I think another great moment is when, uh, Doc Ock like takes on Tom Holland, Spider-Man. And uh, again, like that's how he gets beaten is that Tom Holland's like nano spider suit bonds to the tentacles and takes them over quite literally. Sure. Um, and then, uh, you know, he like, 
Another thing I love too is that when he unmasked Tom Holland when like the uh towards like the very end of the fight, he loses all of his aggression when he's realizing he's not facing his Spider-Man. Um, again, the whole fight sets the tone for the rest of the movie, and I, I just love Doc Ock in this movie. It's so great. Yeah, I, I liked Alfred Molina's uh, return to Doc Ock. Doc Ock's such an iconic Spider-Man villain. Maybe not the arch nemesis that Green Goblin is established as in this film, but definitely up there. He's definitely up there. And he also is just... Uh, his role in this movie is unique as he's kind of the villain. Well, one of the villains that becomes like good and actually yeah, helps resolve he, the issue uh, at the end. He's the like first one that they cure because Doc Ock is a villain that is not, you know, truly evil because he's being controlled by those tentacles, which is established in uh, the Raimi movies. Right. And, so. and Sandman, I think, is also out there as far as being like not explicitly evil, but he's still very much motivated to like attack Spider-Man in this one. But we'll get yeah. to him in a second. First, I want to go to Electro. Oh, uh, yes. Jamie Foxx returns as Electro. And uh, what did you think? Thank God for no more Dr. Manhattan blue skin bullshit. Oh my God. What a like uh, way to you know come back to form. This is how Electro should have been from the very start. And I won't apologize for it. I totally agree. My favorite thing about this Electro is his new look. Oh, yeah. Especially once he's all powered up and you get to actually yeah. see kind of the, the lightning mask. mask. Yeah. That's what Electro looks like. That's what Electro looks like. It's what he's always should have looked like. Yes. No Dr. Manhattan blue skin bullshit. Like, you know, uh, this is how he should have been the whole time. And I know they don't like, they kind of like tease the mask a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's not like, like right, he doesn't put a mask on. It's no. like almost just a formation of yeah, electricity when he's that using his emanates powers. from his face. Yeah, yeah, when he's using his powers, he gets like the the like classic lightning mask. Yes. And it's just amazing. Yeah, but true web heads will remember that's what Electro really right. looks like. And I, I definitely appreciate them including that. I, oh, it's so good. Also, like, you know, he has like, not like a suit, but he like, you know, has like his classic classic powers again of you know electricity and being able to like do his thing while looking good you know is such an improvement compared to amazing spider-man 2 it's so absolutely good. absolutely um i also am glad that they like kept with his actual like comic persona rather than the like the uh nerdy comb over persona yes. that he like originally has they kind of kept it to uh his like streetwise stuff that he's supposed to be sure, uh, especially in the comics. And then you kind of touch on it in like amazing Spider-Man two a little bit because like, you know, it's electro and by the end he's like full on villain. But yeah, um, we don't need the nerdy comb over. Like I'm freaking out and I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Uh, being just a swave, like, you know, Oh, I, I want that power, you know, yeah. um, I can feel it. Yeah. Um, that's who like electro has always been. Uh, and it's so glad that they, you know, make it a real return to form. They let Jamie Foxx like do the work for them. Well, really, sure. I mean, yeah. And I mean, bring it to life. Jamie Foxx is a great, uh, actor, but yeah, I, I think that the character himself is where the real improvement yeah. came from. No, for sure. What I will say is that there is like an issue where he like, he's really here per the rules of the magic. He really shouldn't be here. Is what Why I'm is that? Because the whole rules of the magic is that only people who know who like Peter Parker Spider-Man should be here. And in his like Electro's movie, Amazing Spider-Man 2, he never finds out who Peter Parker actually is. They make a whole point of unmasking Peter Parker. He's like, oh, well, 
you know, kid from Queens, like I thought you were uh, black or whatever. It makes a reference to Miles Morales, but it's just like, well, if you don't really that's know That's in this movie. That's in this movie. Right. No that way doesn't home. happen yeah. in Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man 2. Right? No. Like, he never finds out who Spider-Man is. He never finds out who Amazing Spider-Man is. And so it's a little confusing as to why he's here. We were going to talk about that a little bit more later on when we talk about the magic. Okay. We'll, but, we'll get uh, to that. Um, yeah, we'll but get to we'll, that. Let's move on to our next villain, the Sandman. Uh, so what did you think of, uh, I don't remember this actor's name, but the Sandman. Yeah, Sandman. Listen, I also don't entirely remember the actor's name, but uh, listen, I actually think out of all the villains in this movie, Sandman is actually the one who's most justified to attack Spider-Man uh, in this like particular scenario. He's like the most troubled and just deserved to be sent back. Uh, listen, he doesn't actually die in uh, Spider-Man 3. You know, if you've like watched it, he like drifts away after like, you know, settling things with Peter Parker. Um, he's eventually reunited with his daughter in said movie. And like, you know, he also comes back to this movie clearly in good terms with Spider-Man because he helps him out during the fight with Electro. It's like, well, I'm not your Spider-Man. It's like, what do you mean you're not my Spider-Man? Um, so clearly they're on like good and decent terms, which means that it's got to be after the end of Spider-Man 3 because they like reconcile or whatever. And so like this guy who's a Sandman and really is just trying to like be a decent dad to his daughter gets whisked away or kidnapped, you know, however you want to phrase it to another universe. So if anyone's literally justified to attack Peter and get the box to go back and just get sent back home, it's literally Sandman. Totally agree. And, and like, and like I, I, that's another thing I can appreciate about the portrayal of these villains is that, I mean, I don't know what the default motivation is for the sinister six if their whole plan is just destroy spider-man but these villains are brought together uh because of one thing this whole right. multiverse thing that's sucking them in but they all have their own kind of reasons for acting behaving the way that they do yeah, in they, this movie his motivation is very different from the other ones because he yeah. just wants to get home not necessarily yes not necessarily to do some evil shit or anything like that yeah he to again he's like the one who's most justified to me to actually attack peter and be like you've truly like screwed the pooch on this one as tony stark would say and uh you know, uh, it, I think it's great in the sense that, uh, you know, all of these villains have very clear motivations for the first, like for the most part. And it's nice to see that someone is like just straight up justified to be like, okay, well just send us back home. You know, you don't have to cure me. Right. Just right. send me home. I'm also like, I might be a Sandman, but also like, I'm also totally okay. Sure. So, and then finally we get to Kurt Connors, AKA the lizard. Yeah. What did you think of his portrayal listen so i'll say that i for one am so happy that the lizard's design was improved um he actually looks menacing and imposing instead of just like a human lizard like the like, you know amazing spider-man movie did it's not even like a major design change it's literally just like a lot of facial work that's just you know like redone so he looks more lizardy rather than you know humanoid and it's just you know it did a ton of work it makes him look like a actual you know lizard character like he should be um, that being said, I think there's some missed opportunity here. Like we should have gotten at least a strange versus lizard encounter considering that like we get the reveal that uh lizard was like captured by Dr. Strange and that's how like Dr. Strange reveals like hey, we had this issue after you like screwed up the spell. We should have gotten at least like something. Do you think um, that that was good, like really that interesting or do you think that Strange just put a portal and threw him through it? 
I listen, I don't really know because Doctor Strange also has like a like, you know, wounds, you know. He's got like blood on him and like there's definitely a struggle. So really? some, well yeah, well, oh, so something I that. listen, something happened where he gets like attacked. So and it, like per like Doctor Strange, I think he says that like he'll end like looking hunting down this like mysterious anomaly or whatever and they like, finds the lizard. Oh. So they have a scuffle. But what I will say is that if any of the villains had like a missed opportunity, I'm kind of glad it was the lizard. Well, there's a lot of things going on in this movie. And if someone's going to get the short end of the stick, I think the lizard's probably the best one to give it to, especially as his like motivation really is make everyone into lizards, which I think is the most outlandish out of the entire like uh, Sinister Five crew even if it's like scientifically valid, I, I guess, cause you like cure disease and whatnot, but you know, I agree with you. Um, I feel like this is the least developed, uh, maybe not developed is the wrong word, but the, the least like actualized villain out of yeah. this group of villains. And I'm okay with it. Um, someone's got to get the short stick. And I think that, well, uh, they don't have to, right? Like they right. could, I'm sure have found a way to like make him just as compelling as the other ones. But I'm fine with it. I yeah. don't care. I, I'm not really that in like interested in the villain or in, in the he, lizard. He fills the role of that like physical bruiser slash like the scary face of the, like the bunch. And it's unfortunate that he doesn't get like a bigger role. I also think it's acceptable. Sure. I'm willing I, to like cut my losses on this one. You, it's already so tough to get so like all these different characters enough screen time in a reasonable time frame too. And the lizard, so. he doesn't get as much. And you know what? that's fine yeah um all right so then <laughs> that's all five of the villains although i do want to take this opportunity to talk about jay jonah jameson yes and i, I just knew this get, was coming yeah well just because uh we know we love jk simmons and uh he gets uh, you know a pretty pivotal uh role at the beginning of this movie so what did you think of jk simmons in so uh, this movie? i i i it's hard to really say that he's a straight-up villain but this movie is a low-key origin story for the Daily Bugle. Um, and definitely Jonah's role in like being the one that outs Spider-Man and evolving from like a newspaper to really like an online platform. Well, you're saying it's is, a it's a so was the Daily Bugle a in the first two movies for yeah, Tom so, Holland? No, no, no. So the Daily Bugle was never in the first two movies for Tom Holland. Okay, was it in any all, other MCU movies? No. Okay. Um, this is sort of the origin story of the Daily Bugle, Got who it. we all know from the Raimi movies of as course. like a newspaper. Yes. This time around, though, it's really just like J. Jonah Jameson's like little personal blog or whatever that once he breaks the story of Spider-Man being Peter Parker grows into this like online platform to where like people straight up listen to him like the news. Um, yeah, he's, he's definitely like, like a uh, Alex Jones type character, like yes. an independent broadcaster. Right. And, uh, you know, definitely pushing his narrative and maybe isn't like the explicit truth, but he's pretty convincing. Yeah. He's convincing enough to the audience and people like listen to him. And I do like that. This is how they do it because <laughs> while people still do like some people still read newspapers, I don't think that newspapers kind of, yeah. yeah, it's a dying media. Print media is like dying if not dead. So right. it's cool to see them kind of keep J Jonah Jameson relevant by turning him into this internet news guy. Right. And what I will say is that the shot of him giving his like news report while Peter like watches in the rain and it's like after Aunt May's like death, 
Oh, it's cinematic gold, dude. It's such a powerful scene. And like J.K. Sim I think like the reason I love J. Jonah Jameson so much is because J.K. Simmons just hits it so He's well. a great actor. What oh, a great yeah. performance. So do you think does is he the sixth member of the Sinister Six? Can we throw him in as a villain and, and no, give us the Sinister absolutely Six? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not, dude. 100% no. Listen, he may spew out fake news and he may be like a, the huge annoyance to Peter Parker and like is definitely a thorn in his side. But ultimately, he's being conned by Mysterio just like Peter Parker was. And like that's the point how fake news can really damage someone's like reputation, even if it's completely outlandish. Sure. Like Mysterio being this like otherworldly, you know, hero or whatever, he cons J. Jonah Jameson into believing he it. He cons plenty of people he into cons believing so that. So many like he cons like the world populace really into yeah. believing it. Even if people realize that like Spider-Man's a hero, enough people believe that like Mysterio was a hero as well. And you know, I think in the context of this movie, Mysterio is more of a villain for the Sinister Six than Jay Jonah is in this movie. That makes a lot more sense. And that, I mean, it counts. You know, he is in this movie. Right. So, um, okay. So there's the villains. It was really cool to see all of them on screen together. Yes. But what about the Spider-Men? What was your reaction to seeing all three of the Spider-Men that you grew up watching on it, screen together? I mean, listen, it's magical. I think that uh, despite knowing that all three would be in it because the whole journey just to this movie with all of, like the content leaks and like uh, the actors like repeatedly denying that they're in this movie <laughs> and then like having like leaked footage, like not only leak, but then leak again in like higher resolution. And like, it didn't matter if I knew they were going to be there. Just seeing them was magical. It felt like a dream to see them all on the big screen together. It was really like being a kid again. You yeah. Know? And I thought um, they did a great job with it. They, they gave us such the fan service job. moments where like they land on the Statue of Liberty and they have like their poses. Yeah. And then we poses. get to see them all swinging around together. Oh, yeah. And all the little moments where they kind of just. They kind of like bond with each bond, other. They talk too. about what it's like to be Spider Man. It really yeah. felt like they were brothers. You know, it instantly really they were brothers. And uh, yeah, I loved that. I thought it was great. And each, like, they're all distinct in their own way, but they're all still Spider-Man. And I'm like talking about their villains was really cool too, just to like share that experience of being Spider-Man together. Um, I, I, I think it was wonderful. And anyone who has like brothers will know that like that's feeling of just like bonding, even if you just got like best friends, like you and me, my guy, like just bonding together and talking about things is magical. And, and well, the other thing, just going back to what you were saying about like knowing that they were in the movie, I knew about every character that was going to be in this movie yeah. before I saw it. And I don't remember even seeing explicit spoilers. Like, I don't even remember seeing people be like, here's a screenshot that proves. And I'm oh. like, Oh, okay. Now that's, that's like totally unexpected. I expected all of them to be in this movie. It made sure. sense that they would be here for sure. What I'm referring to is there was a very famously like leaked footage. Oh, I'm of sure Andrew there was. Garfield. Oh, I'm absolutely sure there was. Um, yeah. but I guess what I'm saying is even as a person who didn't see that and as a person who didn't keep up with all the little details and minutiae right. of like the creation of this movie i still wasn't that surprised and that was kind of like the spoilers that i was trying to avoid going into no, this right. movie but even when it happened i was like well of course andrew garfield's in this movie of no, course Tony sure. in this movie it makes so much sense how could they not you of know of course so any i i just think that um 
I don't know, a lot of like spoiler warnings were put onto this one. And yeah. I, ultimately, I felt like I just I knew it even without knowing it, if that makes no, sense. No, for sure. Well, because like when you like know something's going to happen, you kind of be like, okay, well, let me just put like the well, it's like together. once I had Green Goblin and Electro, yeah. I'm like, what are they going to not bring Spider-Man's <laughs> back in? Like, yeah, we're right. only going to get the villains. Yeah. So anyways, um, I really I, I thought that was awesome. I, I love I've been a big Spider-Man fan my whole life of as course. well. And to see all of the Spider-Mans we've had, especially because it's done well, it doesn't feel like it's forced at all. Again, it's really a love letter to our generation who grew up with like the Raimi films and like saw the amazing Spider-Man films and then saw like Tom Holland be introduced to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And that was a long time ago still. Like, yeah. uh, like Civil War was a while back. Yeah. yeah, we got a solid, uh, you know, a couple years back here. So yeah. It's uh, it's just magical to see. Absolutely. You know? Well, I have a few more like uh, this next question is a little sure. bit more specific to your Marvel knowledge. Okay. And hopefully you can kind of clear things up. So what are those purple things that we see when reality starts to break? So those purple things we see when reality starts breaking apart it are actually people and or beings uh, who in terms of the spell know who that spider-man is peter parker right and i think that's definitely implied but did you see any ones that you were like specifically i know exactly who that is based on their silhouette yes. like for instance when they're actually in the sanctum santorum casting the spell the first time they break reality there's like one figure that you can definitely see coming yes. in who is that that being you see during that initial cast is actually the lizard who dr strange eventually tracks down and captures okay so that's that was like a, a nice little hint yeah that's the hint that like people are about to like come in but later in the movie like during the final battle when green goblin destroys the spell containment we see a whole lot more are there any other in particular that you saw you were like oh i know who that is even oh, if yes. we didn't actually get to see them make it into this universe oh yeah listen uh there is actually a cavalcade of cameos in that scene alone including famous villains like the rhino and scorpion um, oh. Now, I did make a complete list uh, that is currently in the Easter egg section. I'm happy to run through it now. Or Let's we can save go that the for the Easter egg section, but I do think that's yeah. cool that there they have that a, level of detail. Oh, yeah. There is a whole cavalcade of characters and cameos in that scene. And I almost think it kind of hints at like what's coming up next, you know? It's, oh, interesting. interesting. Yeah, there's like definitely a, a certain like characters that got a little bit more uh, prominence than other silhouettes. Sure. And like, I feel like that could be hinting at, you know, things coming up in the future, I think. Uh, is Scorpion, just sidebar, is Scorpion, he's just a villain because he got stuck in a Scorpion suit, right? No. Because um, Scorpion feel, that was, is a villain that was hired by J. Jonah Jameson to like capture and bring down Spider-Man in the comics. And then in the comics, he has, uh, uh, oh God, uh, Matt Gargan. There you go. Uh, he has Matt Gargan, the Scorpion, undergo this treatment that bonds his like DNA with Scorpion DNA. Kind of like, you know, Spider-Man situation. Oh, okay. And he becomes the Scorpion. He has like the Scorpion tail and everything in the green suit. Ah. And, uh, well, do you, did you play Spider-Man for PlayStation? Uh, the new one? No, the, for PlayStation 1. Oh, the original one. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, but years ago. Okay, because the, the, his story in that was that he was just stuck in the suit. He couldn't take it off. Well, right. That's what, like, eventually happens, is that he, like, does his job, and then he's like, tries to get the suit off, and he can't take it off. And then he tries to get revenge on Spider-Man for it. Revenge on Spider-Man I would love Jay to Jonah. see him yeah. portrayed in, uh, in the movies. He is in the MCU, my guy. 
Already? So, yeah, Matt Gargan's already in the MCU. What movie? So in Homecoming, there is a guy that uh, Vulture is doing like business with or whatever on the ferry. What? Um, yeah, and he's got like a scorpion tattoo on his neck. Oh and, my gosh. Uh, at the end, uh, he like talks to uh, Vulture and is like, hey, like word on the street is you know who... Uh, you know who Spider-Man is, you know, it'd be a real, you'd be doing me a real service. If you've told me who it was. And then like, uh, at the time Vulture's like, you know, I couldn't tell you who he is really. Um, because yes. he's keeping like the honor between, uh, I guess, oh, no, honor, yeah. But the, yeah, but like, I just the didn't point realize is, that was Scorpion. Yeah. That's Matt Gargan. That he's the character who becomes Scorpion. That is amazing. We're all here playing checkers and the MCU is playing, you know, intergalactic in, chess, inter, yeah, infinite dimensional chess. Oh yeah. So very cool. Very cool. Well, um, we'll get to that list a little bit later, but for the, for now I've got more questions for yes. you. Is the reporter girl from Peter's high school, a real character from the comics? Absolutely. Yeah. She's a hundred percent real. And I'm surprised you even asked me that question because, uh, yes, she's Betty Brandt who Peter originally meets as JJ's assistant in the comics. But you've actually seen her before. Right. She's in the Raimi movies as J. Jonah's assistant, Miss Brand. In uh, the Raimi movies, the she The same is, actress? Not the same actress. Oh, okay. But um, she's a like older woman in like the- uh, Also, she's a brunette and not a uh, uh, a blonde like in this movie. Uh-huh. But, uh, but but her character is in- Yeah, the character's yeah. in there. Um, Do you remember- Okay, this is the best, the best way I can really do it. Do you remember the meme in Spider-Man 3 where J. Jonah's like taking the pills, right? Yeah. And the girl's like, not that one. Uh-huh. Not that one. Remember to drink plenty of water. Yeah. That yeah, girl, yeah, that's Miss Brandt. Ah, that's her. Yeah. Okay. It's a, well, uh, a variant, tell. if you will. Yeah. And I remember her even in the other Spider-Man movies because she does. She's on the news report that covers the blip, right? Yeah. Like, she's on but, the news report that covers the blip. And then she like has a relationship, quote unquote, with Ned Leeds, which is also in the comics. That's who they get like married to. Right. So, so I just in this movie, I was like, dang, they're really giving her some extra screen time here. So I knew there yeah. was something to that. And of course, you had more information on that. So very cool. Of course. Um, okay. So next question. Does this movie answer the question, who would win in a fight between Doctor Strange and Spider-Man? Once and for all, do we know now that Spider-Man is truly like superior and more powerful than Doctor I, Strange? Listen, I suppose so. But if they're like playing for the objective and Strange isn't going like 100%, you know, I think that like... Obviously, you know, Spider-Man is like a really, really good hero, but there's a certain point when you're facing up against the Sorcerer Supreme that you're really not going to like be prepared. I thought Even, Wong was the Sorcerer Supreme. Well, okay, Wong is like the Sorcerer Supreme. So he fights Wong? No, he fights Doctor Strange. Oh, okay. or, sorry. Um, Doctor Strange and Spider-Man. Uh, you know, when Doctor Strange can just open a portal and like bisect your body in half, uh, you know, it doesn't like take off limbs or, you know, cuts his head off or right. whatever. It doesn't just go like full lethal with it. You know, like, yeah, Spider-Man's well, better when they're playing for the objective. Let's go. I'll well, say that. Much. Yeah. I mean, I was just privy to a conversation where somebody you like sourced this film as evidence that Spider-Man is better than Doctor Strange. And I, how do you feel about those kind of conversations it's, where people listen, are like saying who would win in a fight kind of conversation? It's all like subjective and arbitrary to me, because in a lot of cases, like the entire argument changes if they're going like full lethal or if they're going for an objective, like it's so much of this and that. I find it kind of tiring because there's always so many variables at play, unless the answer is kind of like obvious. Um, because like you can make an argument that like Hawkeye versus Doctor Strange. Well, obviously Doctor Strange should probably win that like fight no matter what. 
but there's still like an argument. Like if Hawkeye is like, you know, five miles away and Doctor Strange has no idea what's coming, <laughs> you think, you know, an arrow could like, you know, uh, just right through the dome. Sure, there's a discussion you know? to be had There's a there. discussion. And I think that those are very fun discussions, but people kind of take it seriously and it can be so tiring. Yeah. Like, well, sometimes it like, you know, these are meant for fun and not to be taken like so seriously. Well, I've, there's this podcast that uh, Joey and I have both been on called the Super Bracket right. Brothers. No, where it's basically a conceit of the whole show is to right. f- compare fictional characters. And the way they decide is they do out of 10. So right. how many times out of 10, if, the, if Spider-Man and Doctor Strange fought, they like you would dis- you would say a certain amount of times Strange would win or Spider-Man would win, not definitively one right. of them would 100% of the time well, always right. win, like right. you said, because of all these variables. That's and how, I think that I think that's a really, better way to do it. The better way to do it is out of 10, but I've I also, also seen that on say, like Reddit and stuff. No, for like, sure. I think that's I a, think, just that ri- out of 10 or just out of a series of fights, what's the likelihood of winning I instead think of out crowning of ser- somebody right. the definitive always win. Right, right. Okay, uh, if it's out of like a def- like a series of 10, then I'll say Spider-Man probably wins more because Spider-Man is obviously a little bit more craftier and like, Well, I, I, you know. here's the thing. I don't want to spiral right, off into who right. would win because okay. I guess I just wanted to get your thoughts on the concept of no, having I understand. those discussions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But all right, let's keep it moving. Um, so th- this part of this film takes place in the Sanctum Sanctorum. Right. And there's a lot of stuff in the Sanctum of Sanctorum. Of course, yeah. And as an, a Marvel expert, did you notice anything interesting down there? Any Easter eggs maybe that we, they showed us that maybe a, a, a normie like me wouldn't have picked up on? So here's what I will say. and I'm going to put a full disclaimer on here because um, obviously I only saw this movie twice and I couldn't exactly, you know, catch everything on two viewings. But to the best of my knowledge, there are no major Easter eggs in the Sanctum Sanctorum. Okay. However, what I will say is the box that houses like the rampant spell that uh, Doctor Strange like brings up later on. That's the same magical object that Thor knocks over in Thor Ragnarok when he visits the Sanctum Sanctorum. Okay. Um. So that's an Easter egg right there. I mean, I also saw like there's like a little baby doll that like turns its head and there's also a fridge full of like things that are alive. Are those references to anything? Um, As far as like the fridge, I think it's more of like a joke on how like wizards and like magicians store like weird magical objects. Yeah, sure. I mean, the whole sanctum is full of magical objects, I guess, but it's not a direct reference. I wouldn't say. I mean, I'd have to like kind of view it again and really get like a a freeze frame on it to really give you like a hard like again, again, a disclaimer. I've, you know, only seen this movie twice. I haven't been able to like freeze frame anything, but I didn't notice anything in the fridge. And then as far as the baby doll, I think that's a literal hilarious and quite literal take on a baby monitor. Ah. The baby's like moving. Doctor Strange is like trying to keep an eye on them, I but see. it's like a baby monitor, you know? I see. I think that's what it is. Okay. I could be wrong, but No, sure. Um well, okay, so while we're in the Sanctum Sanctorum, let's let's talk a little bit about magic. Does Ned have magic in the comics? Uh, no, 100% no. No? Uh, okay. Ned Leeds does not have magic in the comics. In fact, in the comics, he's actually the villain Hobgoblin until his death. That's wild. So, yeah. um, is Harry Osborn the Hobgoblin in the Raimi films? Yeah, well, he... Or is he just more Green Goblin? Okay, so what's supposed to happen in the Raimi films is that he becomes a villain called the New Goblin, ah. which is really dumb, and people call him the Hobgoblin because the new goblin name is just kind of, you know, dumb. But well, um, he does tech, like you know, if you want to call it hobgoblin, new goblin, whatever. Harry Osborn becomes a goblin I got and it. attacks okay. Peter in the Raimi films. 
Uh, and Ned Leeds is actually the one in the comics who it becomes the Hobgoblin. And then in the comics, that's eventually how it leads to the Green Goblin. I um, see. Well, I actually, I just want to comment. I really did like the outfit that they had the Green Goblin in in this one because it yes. looked a lot more like the comics where he's got the purple as well as the green. Yeah, I like how. Um, else, I know they didn't really like have his uh, his like trademark mask, which that's always kind of like a, a you know a point of contention in the sense that like the mask is like really cool because it's a Raimi Wait, thing. They, they but, did have the mask. Yeah, but they didn't. They like, smashed keep, it. Yeah, they smashed the mask. Yeah, right. that's what so, happened like, to the mask. Right, but. Um, in like the comics, he definitely has like a Green Goblin like you know face. Obviously, it's not just like Norman Osborn with like goggles on. I don't know the way and, that he contorts his face looks uh, goblin you know enough to me. You, you're kind of right though. He definitely can like and Willem uh, Dafoe contorts his face, and sure. you're totally correct. Sure, you're right. I think it's great. I think they did a great. It job is with him. no, no, no. They it is is real good. Okay, well let's uh, let's keep talking about the. Um, I guess uh, what I'm curious about, and hopefully you can answer this question, sure. is what happens to all these characters when they return to their worlds? So for like Toby, Andrew, and again, those are their respective universes. We know who you're talking about, yeah. yeah. Um, Sandman and Electro, like those four, they all return their universes with like relatively happy endings, you know? Toby and Spider-Man get, or Toby and Andrew get like closure. Sandman and Electro are like cured. You know, they, does Electro die at the end of this Amazing Spider-Man too? Yeah, well, he gets like absorbed by like the network or whatever because he's like becomes pure energy. So, so he, he comes back, dies, and, and he, he never just, he just doesn't. He just is like, oh, I'm normal now. I can't become yeah, pure energy. He, the I'm whole point is again. that he becomes to this universe and he like reforms, and then he no longer is like you know pure energy. Right, but what what is like back. the moment like when he returns to his own universe? Um, is he inside of a wire? Say, no, I would say he's just back at the power plant at the end of Spider-Man 2 or Amazing Spider-Man 2 where, you know, he like fights Spider-Man, but like it's after he like, you know, So him or and Andrew Garfield both come back to that moment or is there No, okay. So is Andrew, Andrew Garfield that's at that moment bit still like I have to kill you because you're no. you're Electro. No, definitely Toby and Andrew come in way after their movies. Right. So, so I guess what they I'm saying, get restored to their universe like way after those movies take place. Right. But what about the version of them that is there? Right. Because when Electro disappears during his battle with Spider Man, Spider Man is still there, even right. if it's not because he takes on uh, Harry Osborn as like the Goblin again in Amazing Spider Man Two. I would imagine that uh, Electro comes back after Gwen Stacy dies. Um, he comes back and like he just pop, you know, pops up and he doesn't have any powers and then he gets carted off to jail. But he's still like alive. He's not dead. Oh, good. Well, now he's a human in jail. Right. Good for him. <laughs> um, and then Sandman goes back to his universe. Again, Sandman comes in after like the events of Spider-Man right. 3. So he's just like cured guy and now he can just be like a dad to his daughter. And that's cool. Okay. Um, however, for Doc Ock and like Osborne, their like fates remain the same. They will literally die upon returning to their universe. And I've like taken like time to watch like the scenes and you can kind of like, you know, make it out when exactly they return. What, um, go, what do you mean? Like going back to so the, going, the, yeah, their the actual original movies? Yeah. So yeah, the Raimi films and you can see the moment where they're like, Oh no, now I'm a good person. Yeah. So, uh, but I'm Doc, still going to die. Right. So like Doc Ock, uh, he like is talking about this moment when, uh, he's like, I had Spider-Man in the grip of my hand. He was trying to stop my fusion reactor. Yeah. And then like, you know, he doesn't remember it. He comes here. Right. 
And, uh, you know, surprise, there's a moment in the film where, like, Peter Parker, like, reveals who he is. And Doc Ock gets, like, this grin or whatever. And because, like, they fight and then, like, Doc Ock is, like, beaten or whatever. He's, like, brilliant but lazy. Um, And to me, like, if they're going to come back to the moments, like, before they die, then Doc Ock is now in control and he decides, I'm going to, like, be the hero and I'm going to stop the fusion reactor. He drowned it. Drowned it in the river. And so... He's like a good guy. He's a hero again. And so he stops his fusion reactor from like, you know, uh, imploding and taking the city with it or whatever and drowns in the river. So he just straight up dies. And then uh, Norman Osborn uh, in his movie, he's uh, Godspeed, Spider-Man, and uh, gets the glider ready and it tries to impale. And then he would probably come back as, uh, you know, it's about to happen. He's like, oh. Because he's like Norman Osborn again. He comes back to the moment just as he's about to die and then still gets impaled. And that's why he asks Peter at the end, he's like, don't tell Harry because he's still Norman Osborn or whatever. But to me, they would get returned in those moments. And so their fates kind of like remain the same. You can just kind of like see it in the Raimi verse because it's, you know, uh, it's, well, it's definitely a retcon, but I see how yeah, you it's could a bit connect of a retcon. those dots. And then the lizard is really like the only real oddity here because like he's cured of being the lizard again and then he gets imprisoned and then like realistically he'd probably go crazy again and turn himself into a lizard again. It's not like, you know, he doesn't know how to do it and it's not like, you know, uh, Andrew Garfield Spider-Man doesn't know how to yeah, cure him. Yeah, change his he, mind. He still has the same worldview. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like also, you know, Andrew Garfield makes it a point to be like, you know, uh, surprise. Uh, you know, I can just cure the lizard. That's fine. So. Okay. So next question, how does the forget spell actually work? Is it everyone in this universe? Is it everyone who has ever known who Spider-Man is in all universes simultaneously forgets? Do the Avengers still remember Spider-Man like, or Peter Parker? Well, how does this work? So the spell works in that the people who are on earth forget who Peter Parker is. It erases the memories of Peter Parker from everyone's collective memory, but none of the events surrounding them. So just earth in this universe, just earth in this universe, Got it. your friendships and events would be intact, but no one remember who Peter Parker was just that he was some guy. Um, it also like apparently affects records, his costumes, like Stark tech doesn't recognize him anymore. Um, he doesn't have like a GED. He doesn't have like a high school like graduate. He's like studying for his GED. The writers have gone on to kind of say that they're going to elaborate more on it and not to like sweat the tiny details. Like if he still has a social security number or if he has a driver's license or whatever. Um, the Avengers definitely still remember Spider-Man. They just don't know who he is under the mask. Okay. And what further complicates this is that, uh, the spell only applies to everyone on earth so like per this movie nick fury who is literally made a point to say he's off of earth nick fury still knows who spider-man is captain marvel still knows who spider-man is and the guardians of the galaxy and possibly even thor remembers who peter parker is or at least what he looks like right well Um, i guess and just to be clear everybody still remembers who spider-man is as in like they know that spider-man is this guy guy, and he swings around on webs and he's a crime fighter but only people who aren't on earth remember who peter parker is in the sense that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. I don't want to spe- like linger too much on it because if the writers right. are saying don't sweat the details, then... Yeah, they're going to elaborate more on it in the future. Okay. Well, hopefully it makes sense when they do that. So, all right. So, let's... We're getting to the end of the movie here. Let's let's talk about post credit scenes. Yeah. Uh, and the first one, 
is kind of a you know a curveball because kind of a curve I did not ball. expect to see uh, Tom Hardy, another Tom, yep. uh, in this movie as well as Venom. So, what does this mean? So, first of all, it's subtly genius, and it's in reference to that gentleman's chess match that I was referring to. I earlier. do like that you're calling it a gentleman's chess match. It's not just a chess match. It's a gentleman's chess match <laughs> because they have to like they it's can't really talk Sony about and it. Marvel. Oh, it's between Sony and Marvel, and it's just an elaborate like this decades long game. And thanks to this movie and this after credit scene, it allows Sony to build their own Spider-Man universe with their own Spider-Man while Marvel has their own Spider-Man and personally does make a better like, you know, Spider-Man universe, in my opinion. Um, Okay. Let me elaborate a little bit here and everyone can put on their like tinfoil hats. So... This movie, No Way Home, states that specifically, a handful of villains squeaked through before Strange gets his spell under control. Uh, we know that the only villains that make it through are from the Raimi-verse, which is uh, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, right, right. and the Sony-verse, which is Andrew Garfield Spider-Man. Um, after the Spider-Man deal is officially made, um, and this is after like details were leaked. That and- was the whole thing where we might, like, th- th- there's going to be no more Spider-Man, no more Tom Holland Spider-Man in the MCU, right? right. Well, that was like, like, there was a moment that. where th- there was a we moment thought that where, was the, right. the case, and, and Jeff Goldblum reacted to it. Do you yeah, remember that? It was, he uh, was like, save Spider-Man, you know? Save Spider-Man. Yeah, no. This is not, I mean, it's a little bit before that, but when they initially made the deal, um, they like said, okay, well, you guys can like make Spider-Man movies, but we get the profits on the actual Spider-Man like titles. So they did that. And then when they had to re-up it, they were like, okay, well, listen, we're just going to keep the terms all the same, but we want to like make our like Spider-Man villain movies. You know what I mean? So, uh, the when that like the deal is re-upped, uh, Marvel said okay, and Sony ventures into making Tom Hardy's Venom verse that is quote unquote separate from their previous Amazing Spider-Man verse, which is the Andrew Garfield verse, as uh, Venom has had no contact with New York or Peter Parker to the displeasure of many fans until now. Uh, this credit scene confirms that Tom Hardy's Venom is, in fact, the same universe as Andrew Spider-Man, the Sony-verse, by way of the Venom symbiote and the confirmation that Tom Hardy's next movie uh, for Venom is literally titled Spider-Man versus Venom. Wow. Yeah, so let me give you guys an extremely brief recap, and I'm going to try as, you know, kind of blitz through this as best I can and still make it make sense. Um, And this is for people who haven't seen, like, the Venom movies, so... Uh, just bear with me. Uh, when the first Venom movie is released, everyone pretty much had the same thought process, I feel like. It actually looked good. Uh, they got the symbiote dynamic, the special effects, the size, and the brutality pretty much right. Like, Venom looks the part. Except, it was really not Venom because it didn't have any contact with any Peter Parker or Spider-Man element. You really can't have Venom without him, like, having the, like, you know, uh, symbiote Spider-Man, like, storyline. And then, like, Eddie Brock getting totally, you know, uh, you know, pardon my language here, but totally shat on by, you know, Peter Parker uh, in his storyline. That's the whole point. Didn't even have a spider logo on the chest, right? At the end of the latest Venom movie, Let There Be Carnage, which, you know, also bad, uh, it is revealed that the symbiote hive mind transcends universes and is actually a multiversal hive mind, So, which is ridiculous on its own, but um, all the symbiotes have like one collective knowledge base across all the universes, right? They are then brought to the Marvel Cinematic Universe by Doctor Strange's spell, but remain in Mexico, totally separate 
where Venom acknowledges Peter Parker and is aware of him. Holy is, crap. Okay, right. so the reason why it pulled Eddie Brock in is because the symbiote is multidimensional and therefore knows who Spider-Man is? This is due to Tobey Maguire's uh. Peter Parker <laughs> having bonded to the Venom symbiote previously. Holy cow. Which is even referenced. It's referenced when Spider-Man are, when the, when the Spider-Man are chatting together and they're like, I once fought an alien made of black goo. Of course. And uh, and so this version of the symbiote also knows who Peter Parker is because all of the symbiotes have a multiversal hive mind. That's right? bonkers, bonkers, dude. Yeah. Like I haven't seen Let There Be Carnage yet, you, so uh, I didn't know that. Right. That was con that was canon. Is exactly. That the symbiotes exactly, are multi dimensional. Dude. Yeah. So what is what this actually fucking means? This scene has Tom Hardy learn more about superheroes because in the Venom movie in the Sony verse there really are no superheroes besides like Spider Man and that little collective egg and now venom on the west coast right well is there also going to be a new character that's like a vampire guy yeah morbius but here's the thing this is where i'm like getting at here uh tom hardy decides to like drunkenly go meet this peter parker which then sets him up for his movie after being recapped on the events of like avengers and thanos and all that good stuff uh you can watch the scene it's actually kind of funny uh because tom you're hardy talking about the post credit the post credit yeah scene. of course yeah. i mean it's, i assume people who are listening to this podcast saw right. the movie so the venom symbiote intoxicated they decide like oh they just need to move on but eddie and the symbiote are returned to their universe but because the Venom symbiote is quote-unquote intoxicated, it leaves a bit of itself behind. This means that there is now a piece of the Venom symbiote in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, and now the Sony-verse has its own Spider-Man, Andrew Garfield. More than likely, Sony will use Andrew as its own Spider-Man in their Sony dark like Spider-Man villains universe and play off the Marvel universe, uh, which I'm going to specifically cite Morbius and in the trailer, their use of an imprisoned Adrian Tomes, who is the Vulture, also played by Michael Keaton, who is the Marvel Cinematic Universe's Vulture. All while the Marvel Cinematic Universe has its own Spider-Man and, quite frankly, can make actually good movies. Uh, so while all like the base Spider-Man titles, like when we ever see a Spider-Man movie, it'll be in the MCU. All of these villain movies, the spinoffs, will be in the Sony-verse. And while they won't be called like Spider-Man, the like Into the Dark or sure, whatever, whatever. Uh, they'll have Andrew Garfield as their Spider-Man. Wow. And I think that there's reason why we should care about this because, at least for me, uh, I think that this movie, this like this move that like Sony has made, where they've like won the war, uh, has the potential to do what this movie kind of did. Is that it allows other movies to tell like these villain origin stories, and then you can use those villains to make better movies later on. So you can focus on like a better story. Like they don't really give you a whole like origin story in No Way Home, how like Doctor Octopus got the arms, or how like Green Goblin got like whatever. You just kind of know that from the other. Well, they movies. have their own movies. Yeah. yeah, they have their own movies, right? So. You know, Sony can then set up all these intro movies, and then Marvel could like take advantage and piggyback off and of it and pull them in and pull them in. Oh, why my not? Gosh. But here's the thing: 
is that, you know, uh, rather than doing like villain origin stories, because I think at this point we're kind of tired of origin stories, kind of like overall, we just want like the good stuff. The well, what good, do you mean? Stuff. I mean, every character when you introduce them is like an origin story, right? Yeah, well, Are we exactly. just going to stick with the same characters forever? No, but I think that we're like at the moment, we're trying to get more origin stories. And I think that we're sort of like hitting this weird superhero fatigue kind of deal. In any event, I think that Sony is just extremely bad at making these kind of movies since they only care about the money. It's all about the money, Spider-Man. But uh, I feel like Disney cares about the money too. Disney, listen, Disney cares about the money, but Disney's just like the bank account. Marvel is like, okay, we want to make this really good movie, and Disney's just like fund it. Like here is all of the money to make whatever the hell you want, and it's just going to be good. So I guess what's just, your point? What are you trying to get? My at? My point is, is that I think that Sony is going to make all these like Spider-Man spinoff movies, and they're all going to be bad, and it's just going to like <laughs> flood the market, so to speak. And introduce more superhero fatigue, which is like kind of growing right now. Be especially Absolutely. like with the, especially with Eternals. I think that's where like I'm starting to see it. But I don't want bad content to be made about the Spider-Man lore. Like for what it's worth, we fans deserve better. And so far, only Marvel has properly delivered. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but uh, okay, so you're worried that this is going to lead to more bad Sony Spider-Man movies. Yes. Okay. I well, don't think I, they're going to be good. I think that's worth worrying about. But I think my question is, having left some of the symbiote in the MCU world, does this mean we're going to get another Venom? I think Will there be so. a different Eddie Brock and then a different Venom that I, is actually like I think that the true what's Venom? what's probably going to happen is that Tom Hardy will return to be like the Marvel Cinematic Universe's uh, oh. you know Eddie Brock, and then there's going to be a storyline because so wait, is he going to be in two different? universes at yeah that my point? guy not like traveling in between but two distinct eddie brocks that's that right are both played by tom hardy yeah because how, is that, how does that work they're just different like versions of the same character but not played by different actors no, they're not played by different actors because they're gonna like look the same you know they're just different variants of the same character interesting you know whereas this time around we can maybe uh see a proper like eddie brock venom storyline where uh you know eddie brock gets like totally shat on by uh you know peter parker and then uh peter parker can get like the symbiote kind of like spider-man 3 that's like the one thing i did like about it is that it was pretty faithful to like the actual storyline of uh eddie brock and like the it, symbiote. except it was done in like 20 minutes it was done in like 20 minutes and also it just looked bad yeah uh this go around it actually looked right and it would just be way better sure so, okay well there's a lot that there's a lot there there's Coos, a lot there. and I, i'm glad you brought up that thing about the symbiotes being multi-dimensional because yeah. now it all kind of ties together it makes right. sense why he was there because i was like and you wouldn't know why that they have him yeah right so and you wouldn't know that unless you watched the after credit scene of let there be carnage oh and wow i think that movie is also bad because there's no uh like spider-man element in it and it makes it just makes things worse because okay. it doesn't ground it enough to what the source material is. And I think that if you're watching this movie, you have a very clear expectation of some of these characters. Like they do car. I don't know. Like, well, listen, listen, if you're a real Carnage fan like I, I am, they sure. they messed it up. They and I guess I'm, I don't want to get into a right. review of Let There Be Carnage, uh, right. but I, I think you've gotten, I think we can understand yeah, the, the post credit yeah. scene now, uh, the first one. Now let's talk about the second post credit scene. What did you think of that? Yeah, listen, this was pretty much revealed to just be the Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness trailer. Yes. Um, it was and pretty, it literally was yeah, the trailer. Was literally and and the I trailer. guess my question is, 
what do you think of that? I, <laughs> Usually listen, the post-credit scenes are a post-credit right, scene, which, not literally a trailer. I think that uh, in this instance, it's kind of okay just because it was a pretty epic trailer. We get to see like uh, Scarlet Witch again, who like we're very excited about. Uh, she had her own great show. We see America Chavez, who like people are really excited to like be brought to the you know live screen um as well i guess my i guess what i would say is have they done this before i felt like yeah they've sort of done this before they have done a trailer instead of a post-credit scene yeah they've done um i think in thor ragnarok i think um because like the first after credit scene was uh uh, the like a little like the dark ship comes in like it sort of leads into Infinity War yeah and then the second uh, after credit scene was I think um, if I remember it right it's the trailer for Black Panther I could be wrong it's been a while but I thought the post credit scene had something to do with Jeff Goldblum's character oh no you're so right it is no 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 it is I uh, just think I guess personally I felt a little bit robbed of an opportunity to right. see more movie you know a scene no, that's makes a, sense. a, a yeah. true post credit scene and I was like what the a trailer I, think that the I whole, saw enough trailers before this movie right, started here's, here's my take on it because what seems like it's going to happen is that the events of this movie directly lead into the multiverse of madness oh yeah because, obviously obviously Definitely. and i just I think, think they could have found a way to make it more like yeah, again they could have just, just made an after credit scene where if it's like funny or they could have shown like a villain like go and return to their own universe or something i just feel like they got lazy <laughs> like, yeah just show them the trailer it's a safe fair thing. enough yeah it's so, a safe bet yeah anyways um okay what does the end of this movie mean for Tom Holland Spider-Man moving forward? Is he still going to be in the MCU? I've heard things about Tom Holland not so, wanting to be Spider-Man anymore. He's like, I'm he, I'm Nathan Drake now. I'm not <laughs> Spider-Man anymore. I'm just a video game guy now. Look, I it's it, listen, all of this is uh solely up to Tom Holland. I think that he's definitely game to make more Spider-Man movies now after like seeing the hype of people why, wanting him to keep playing Spider-Man. Um, and seeing how like successful this movie has been. Um, but right now, uh, story wise, this Peter Parker can now be Spider-Man without the social obligations of Peter Parker. Um, besides like getting a job and being like a broke ass, like we all know and love, uh, he can be, uh, just, he can just be Spider-Man. And I think that the biggest thing about this is that, uh, he is now truly the Marvel cinematic universe's Spider-Man proper. It just feels like this is who Spider-Man was always like meant to be. So and we can expect to see more Tom Holland Spider-Man then? I think that we can lock every, that in. Listen, I think everything that's leading to this moment is the MCU Spider-Man origin story. I think now that we've like established this character, we can see what comes next and understand that this is like the origin story of Spider-Man. But but webheads out there who might be worried about this being the end of Spider-Man need not fear. You're saying no, that it will I, definitely continue. Listen, I think that it would be downright foolish for anyone to believe that this is the end of Spider-Man. I think that Tom Holland is definitely going to come back for another trilogy. I think um, they have like set up some seeds to where like Miles Morales could potentially take over. You know what I mean? A new actor could get brought in, but I'll be honest with you. I think Tom Holland's got at least another trilogy in him. And then at that point, that'll be another like, you know, uh, 10 to 15 years of Tom Holland, Spider-Man. And then we could properly 
you know, move on, so forth. Well, 10 to 15 years in the future, who knows yeah, what's who going knows? on, you know? Yeah. But, yeah, okay, fair enough. I was worried that we, like, there's some going to be some sort of changing of no. the guard or something, but I'm I don't glad think you've so. reassured Listen, me. Because I'll keep I watching Tom so. Holland's Spider-Man. No, I like for it. sure. He's. I think that he's probably after this movie the best spider-man i think it's really hard to like make that argument but i think he's the best so all right well was there anything else you want to touch on um well i think we should definitely go over the list of like beings who we saw because we mentioned excellent it. all right well, um, we'll move on to our cool easter eggs and, and I've, you've got a whole bunch here Coos. i do and i want to throw this a, a quick disclaimer here because <laughs> there's so many there's a ton of easter eggs in this movie it's worthy of its own episode but for the sake of like brevity we're just going to keep it to some of the big ones okay so uh mainly first uh the list of beings that we see towards the end of the movie when the spell's going out of control in no particular order. This is, you know, just here it is. Uh, we see uh, silhouettes of Rhino, Scorpion, Craven the Hunter, Black Cat, the superior Spider-Man from the comics, uh, another Mysterio, Silver Sable, Doc Ock variants, uh, some Goblin variants. I really couldn't tell if it's like Green Goblin or Hobgoblin, so I'm just throwing them both in there. Uh, Morlun, uh, the Spider Slayer, possibly Carnage or some other Venom symbiotes okay. or symbiote variants. And these are all just, they're dangling them in front of us saying, this yeah. could be coming. Like, Any be, of these could be in the movies Any of these up. could be coming. Like, you know, I think that there's like been talk of Craven the Hunter getting like his own like solo film. Uh -huh. So he got like a major kind of like, you know, uh, appearance very as far cool. as those uh, little scenes. So... I think that, uh, you know, it's very cool. There's Listen, there's definitely so much more. That's just off like Sure, sure. And that's, that's plenty. So. It's just cool to know that they are yeah. actual characters. Yeah. But uh, after that, um, this one's kind of like on the nose, but Matthew Murdoch, the lawyer who, uh, you know, comes back to save uh, Peter Parker's ass out of the fire, uh, is Daredevil. It's another Marvel superhero that is fondly remembered from the Marvel Netflix show Daredevil, also portrayed by Charlie Cox, uh, who is the actor who played him in the Marvel uh, Netflix show. Um, there is a, an implication that this is not quite the same Daredevil. Um, I just actually binged all three shows to prep and see if I can answer this question. Three show, three different Daredevil shows? No, no, no. Three different Daredevil seasons, sorry. Oh, three seasons uh, three of Daredevil. Three seasons of Got Daredevil, it. yeah. Listen, there's nothing to say that this is not literally the same Daredevil from the show. There's nothing to say it's yeah, not. Yeah, why wouldn't it be? Well, you know, you never really know. His cameo here, though, is a reference to Daredevil's first appearance in the Amazing Spider-Man comics, where he has to represent Peter Parker, who's been framed for crimes he didn't commit. Very Sound cool. familiar? That yeah. is very cool. Uh, let's see. Another big one. Uh uh, Tobey Maguire's back issue is a reference from Spider-Man 2 where he hurts himself upon believing his powers are back. Uh, there's a meme reference where Peter's like, my back, my back. Yeah, <laughs> yes, and like yeah. he cracks his back, yeah. Yeah, I remember um, that. Here's kind of a big one that maybe people missed because it's really blink or miss it and I no only noticed it on my second go around. Uh -huh. uh, Liz Tomes, who is Peter Parker's love interest and the daughter of the vulture from the first like Spider-Man homecoming movie makes a real blink and miss it cameo. During Spidey and Strange's fight, uh, Doctor Strange runs by a newspaper magazine stand with her on the cover of U.S. People's Magazine, where she's calling Peter Parker a liar. Um, since he's responsible for imprisoning her father, the Vulture, 
it kind of makes sense she's not a fan. Wow, but that's a real, that's a real uh, yeah, Easter egg. Very yeah, cool. Yeah, I noticed it on uh, the second viewing, and I had to go like fact check myself, and there you go. Um, some other ones, this is kind of a big one, so I'm going to blitz through it. During the Doc Ock fight on the bridge, several of the license plates are references to events or like comic book issues. Uh, the uh, MIT, like, uh, you know, uh, administrator. administrator's license plate is the date of Doc Ock's uh, first appearance in wow. Spider-Man comics. Which is Spider-Man, uh, Amazing Spider-Man, I think, number three from 1963. Dang. Um, and then the taxi behind her has Stan Lee's birthday, like, on there. There's more. I just, I haven't been able to really, like, decipher it. because I, really I can't get awesome. freeze frames. Um, in the mural in Peter Parker's school, several brilliant minds are, like, included on the little, like, murals. Uh, there is Howard Stark, Hank Pym, Bruce Banner, and Albert Erskine, who's the guy who made the Captain America Super Soldier Serum. Um, another one is, uh, despite losing her memories of him, Mary Jane... Or- Mary Jane MJ is seen wearing the black Dahlia necklace Peter Parker gives her in Far From Home while working and uh, you really notice it when Peter attempts to reveal who he really is and you can kind of see it like you know in frame she's wearing it interesting yeah um and then one last one because this is a teaser uh in the later part of the movie when JJ is doing his like advert for the Daily Bugle like multivitamins you're a second like daily fix that you need yeah <laughs> um there's a news prompt on the bottom that's kind of scrolling through that there is political turmoil in New Asgard Ooh. hinting at the next Thor movie which is Thor Love and Thunder Dang that's a, that's pretty cool um I only had one easter egg really in that Earlier in the film, I think when uh, Peter's uh, like at Happy Hogan's uh, apartment when they're first like oh, on the yeah, run, yeah, yeah. you can hear the TV in the background, and there's a guy who's like complaining that they're putting the sh- the Captain America shield oh, on the yeah, yeah, Statue yeah. of Liberty. And then later on, obviously, you see that, and it plays a big part. Yeah, in the final there's battle. a there's a reference about it in Hawkeye too, where uh, Yelena, who is Florence Pugh, by the way, yeah, uh, she makes a joke about seeing the new and improved Statue of Liberty, ah. and now we like we see it in No Way Home. That's very cool. I like so, how they tie those kind of things together. It's all you know, it's all together. So there you go. That is our discussion on Spider-Man No Way Home. Um, all of our observations. I love having you be able to dive so deep into it. Yes, you have a lot you. of expertise on Marvel and you're always up to date. Um, so as we do at the end of every episode of Apple Chat, we will deliver our ratings. Kuz, what rating do you want to give to Spider-Man No Way Home? Listen, I, I will break uh, tradition here a little bit because I would like to give this movie a, uh, despite not having the full Sinister Six, I would like to give this movie a full six out of the Sinister Six. Wow, that's high praise. High praise. Especially as a person like you who like knows who the Sinister Six exactly, are without yeah. having to have an MCU movie about it. Um, to have to it for it to satisfy you i think is high praise for sure i'm gonna give this movie infinite web cartridges <laughs> when you're because uh, i also really enjoyed it and um oh, we talked man. about this a little bit on the stream but if i was gonna be a spider-man if i was in an alternate multiverse dimension where i'm spider-man i would definitely need to be a spider-man that has infinite webs oh yeah. like i need to have it either be created in my body or just have like infinite web card would it only come out of your wrist or would it come it's out a good of question who knows like- maybe it would if, <laughs> I mean, honestly um but there we have it 
our ratings. Kuz, once again, thank you so much for joining me. Dude, thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be here in my first uh, actual episode since Infinity War. Yeah. Uh, which is, I mean, I just want to say very impressive considering I'm still Affable Chat's <laughs> most frequent guest, but only, you know, two episode appearances on the actual podcast. <laughs> You're an off-script yeah, legend. Dude. And right. also defending your title by coming on here today. So once again, thank you so much. Do you have Thank any plugs? Anything you want to plug? Um, I'll say that you can always find me online on Twitter and Instagram at my uh, at you know Koozie uh, King five one four. I know I'm not very active, but you're always welcome to come say hey. I know I'm going to try to be a little bit more active. If people can uh, you know reach out to me yeah. and uh, yeah, man, uh, you know feel free to hit me up. Um, that's where I am. Twitter and Instagram again uh, at tag is a uh, King five one four. Cool, and we'll put that in the description. Of course, you can follow Koos. Um, but that is going to do it for our discussion on Spider-Man No Way Home. The next episode of Affable Chat will be about Predator, the original Arnold Schwarzenegger Predator movie. Uh, so we're going to be having a guest on that episode as well. So very excited about that. If it bleeds, we can kill it. Yes, that's Predator movie. Um, but for now, you can subscribe to us on Spotify or iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like this episode, then tell a friend. Ask them... Uh, have you ever considered listen to Affable Chat? You can reach us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Affable Chat or send us an email, affablechat at gmail.com. You can check us out on YouTube. Just search Affable Chat on YouTube. We have videos there. Affable Chat is live on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, that's twitch.tv slash Affable Chat. That's going to do it for this episode. For Affable Chat, I'm Benjamin. And I'm Kuz. Thanks for listening. <laughs>